through the family of God under the sound of my voice, I thank you. Will you please stand while we read scripture? Jeremiah 6, 16 through 19. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will never walk in it. Also, I set watchmen over you saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. Therefore, hear, you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my law, but rejected it. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. It's time to go back to basics. Will you say those words after me? It's time to go back to basics. Will you say them again just to make sure we got them? It's time to go back to basics. You may be seated. The Bible is full of very complicated father and or husband relationships. Adam and Eve biting the apple, Jacob with his dysfunctional relationships with his 12 sons, Samuel with his two evil sons, David's rebellious sons, Abraham listening to his wife and going into her handmaiden, etc. But in the midst of all these biblical and worldly balls of confusion, we find three stories of obedience and love that allow us to know that, there is, that it is possible to be in the world and not of it. Abraham and Isaac. It had been 40 years since God told Abraham that he was going to be father of nations. Initially, Abraham did not trust what God said he would do. Abraham twice lied when he got in a jam and said his wife was his sister, which she was, when he went down into Egypt on God's directive. But now he was ready to trust God and sacrifice his only son, Isaac, knowing that if God asked for his son, then he would surely raise him up. Isaac was at the time a strong lad, a teenager. He could have easily overpowered his hundred-plus-year-old father as Abraham prepared to offer his son as a burnt offering. But Isaac trusted that whatever his father asked him to do, it must be of God. What a wonderful example of, of trusting in our fathers. The father and the prodigal son. What an amazing story of a father's unconditional love. A son's arrogance and pride lead him to squander his inheritance and end up amongst the swine where he comes to himself and goes back to his father's house whereupon seeing his father, whereupon his father, seeing his youngest son from afar, goes running towards him, hugs him, brings him, brings out the fatted calf and throws a feast for the prodigal son as he tells his disheartened eldest son, son, you are always with me and all I have is yours, but your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. What a pointed example of a father loving a child enough to let him go. Train up a child, Proverbs 22 and 6, in the way he, he or she should go. And when they're old, they will not depart from it. Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. The presiding bishop, the presiding bishop has taught us 
often that Joseph is often seen as the forgotten man in the biblical record of Jesus' birth and upbringing. If there ever was a man who had cause to leave his fiancée at the altar, it was Joseph. What man among us would have the courage to take to wife a woman who disappears for three months and comes back pregnant saying, this child is of the Holy Spirit? Come on, man. Come on, man. But Joseph not only kept that in his heart and did right by Mary, but he also continued listening and following God's instructions regarding the child and quietly raised Jesus in the fear and admonition and admonition of the Lord's Lord in silence. Never said a mumbling word. So in a real sense, Joseph is one of the biblical giants and one of the greatest father figure role models in the Bible. When we look at today's scripture in the Hebrew language, language, it literally means to stand or remain along the road of our journey until we discern, take heed, earnestly inquire, and pray for where the ancient, concealed, and best pathway is and their walk, where we shall find rest for our appetites, our bodies, our desire, etc. But how many of us today have the patience to stand where we are and pray for guidance about the correct route to take when we come to life's crossroads? How many of us even know that we need to pray? How many of us know the word God well enough to know that sometimes we just need to stand still and face, see God, seek God's face? There are some things, there are things that God requires from us in order that his blessings continue to flow. And I think that today, because we are not reading, studying, and meditating on the word of God as we should, we have gotten an image of God in our minds that, that he is like some genie whereby we just ask what we want like a child and because he is a loving, merciful, and forgiving God, then he must give us what we want. No, that's not how God works. God's not a tool for our desires. This, this kingdom of God is not a democracy. It's an if-then relationship. As Bishop often tells us, God has earned the right to tell us what to do. And because he has earned that right, we don't need to ask, but why? And then wait for an answer that we approve of before we decide to obey. Uh-uh. Uh -uh. 1 Samuel 15, 22. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed, that's why you got two of them, to heed than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. There are, th there are certain things that God requires of us because he has to make sure he can trust us with the treasures he so desperately wants to give us. Therefore, his word has laid out certain requirements. He also requires certain things from us because he knows our frame. He knows that we hate change and oftentimes have to be drag kicking and screaming into our blessings that we may grow. For example, 
If we want to become a doctor, we know that we have to take specific courses in high school, college, medical school, do a residency, and even do more schooling. If we want to be a specialist, neurosurgeon, brain surgery, etc., we don't just say, I want to be a doctor, but I don't want to go to school and study. We don't say that. We know we have to sacrifice if we want to be a doctor. We know it's going to cost us something. We know it's going to take some time. The same is true if we want to follow the Lord. We're going to have to sacrifice. It's going to cost us something. It's going to take some time. Is that a word? That's a fresh word. Mark 8 and 34. Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. It is my contention that in order to become a great father, like Abraham, the prodigal son's father, and Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, there are certain basic biblical principles that need to be present and operating in our lives. As we begin this journey of examining the old paths and the good ways, we, we will study just a few of those principles and examine how our world suffers from their absence in our lives. Now, now, I believe the first principle, one of the first principles we need present and operating in our lives in order that we become the fathers and husbands of God that, that God would have us to be is the phrase we see on our money every day. In God we trust. We don't trust God on everyday lives. We only pray when we need him, and other times we put him back on the shelf and say, I got, I got this. I got this guy. The perfect example is plane travel. Until the plane is actually taxiing down the runway, we have little conception how fragile life is. We are about to ascend to 36,000 feet in a flimsy little metal tube, and it's simply by the grace of God that it happens thousands of times a day without incident. Can I get an Amen. But we don't think about God until we taxi down the runway and take off. At that point, every person on the plane begins focusing their attention on God. And don't let there be no turbulence going up. Hoop! Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to hit you. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You're you good. You're good. Okay, okay, okay. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm better. I'm better. I'm better. And then once we're airborne and above 10,000 feet, we forget about God again until we're about to land when we dust him off again and pray that we land safely. And when we do, once again, by the grace of God, we conveniently forget about God until the next crisis when we dust him off. But the Bible say, 1 Thessalonians 5:17, pray without ceasing. Psalm 18 and 2, the Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I should trust, whom I will trust. The second of these basic biblical principles that we need, that we need operating in our lives is the notion of giving in order to receive. Luke 6 and 38, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over will be put into your bosom for the same, for with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back. The, this lack of understanding of the first biblical principle, trust, often blocks our ability to, ability to give and thereby impedes God's ability to place abundance in our hands. The church cannot fulfill its duties because saints don't tithe due to lack of understanding of this basic principle. Go ahead and clap on that one. Our families cannot receive all that God has for us, for us to do due to our holding on to things, which merely tells God that we don't trust him to bring back 
them back to us tenfold. So because we feel that God needs our help to bring about the promises and that he, he, the blessings he promised us, God pulls back. And like a father with a child, he lets us fall on our faces. And unfortunately, instead of getting up to our knees and asking for his forgiveness, we deepen our rebellion, blame our misfortunes on God, and even question his very existence. I don't even believe in God. Is there a God? And then God simply waits for us to realize that he is, he is not the cause of our misfortunes. We are. God wants us to trust him and his word and be obedient. Prophet Elijah asked the widow to understand this principle when in the midst of her pain and suffering, he asked her to make him a cake first and then afterwards make some for her and her son. 1 Kings 17, 13, 15. And Elijah said to the widow, do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And then afterwards, make some for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did what the man said according to the word of Elijah, and she and her household ate for many days. Jesus told his disciples, Matthew 10 and 8, freely you, have freely, you, freely you have received, freely give. We should all strive to do the same. Another of these biblical principles is humility. I believe this principle is so difficult for us to get our minds around because in this country we're taught the principle of pulling ourselves up by bootstraps. We taught that if we work hard and are lucky enough, we can have everything we want. Luck discounts God. It is the teaching of self-reliance. God does not help those that help themselves. That teaching is completely contrary to the will of God. God does not want us to depend on ourselves. God wants us to depend on him. He don't need no co-pilot. 1 Peter 5 and 6. Therefore, humble are yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Philippians 4 and 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known made to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The golden rule must be included in any discussion of basic biblical principles that are difficult for us to grasp. We as natural men and women want to have conditional relationships with others. We want, people, we want to treat people like they treat us. If they treat us well, then we'll treat them well. But if they don't treat us well, well, we might just mistreat them right back. God doesn't want us to operate like that. Matthew 7 and 12, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. Galatians 5 and 14, for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Trusting in the Lord, giving, humility, treating others like we want to be treated. Can you imagine our world today if husbands and fathers lived their lives according to these basic four principles. 
What a wonderful world this would be. The biblical pattern of loving husbands and wives, making a commitment to live faithfully together, loving, guiding, protecting their children, and reverencing their God can constitute a basic building block for a renewed and transformed society. In other words, our community, our society, and our country will never get it together until we get our behavior together our families together, and our marriages together. A renewed commitment to sexual purity, to marriage, to marital fidelity can impact every negative statistic in our country. It's time to go back to basics. I think first and foremost that we must have a standard of how we see the world. And that standard is biblically based. Our forefathers knew that which is why God was literally and figuratively present in every document on record. It is possible to tell that by looking at our major historical documents, the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, all our money, all of our major patriotic songs, the Star Spangled Banner, Amazing Grace, Great America the Beautiful, etc., all point to the fact that we used to be one nation, not under a groove, but under God. We are now a country that wants to take God out of those very documents and songs so as not to offend anyone. What has happened? Weren't there people who were offended by our beliefs when they were first penned? In the past, people accepted our beliefs because this was the land of the free and the home of the brave, and everyone wanted to come live the American dream. When immigrants came to the United States, they wanted to fit their beliefs into our beliefs because they wanted to become Americans. I want to live in America. I want to live in America. Today we are slowly but surely attempting to erode our own country's core values to accommodate different groups who no longer feel the need to fit into our society but are demanding that our society change to make room for them. What has happened? Where have we strayed and lost our way? Have we forgotten Emma Lazarus's sonnet that echoed through the ears of millions who passed free by Lady Liberty? Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuse of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. We need to go back to basics. We are like children that have gotten separated from our parents in a mall or a stadium, and we need someone to lead us back to them. We have gotten so far away from God that we are almost numb to the appalling things that are happening all around us. Our families are eroding right in front of us, and we feel powerless to do anything about it. Depression leading to suicide is taking both young and old. The world seems to be spinning out of control. We have forgotten the things that our neighbors, teachers, older brothers and sisters, aunts and uncles, our parents and grandparents used to tell us. It used to be that someone could always pull us aside and set us straight. It used to be that your neighbor would tell you about yourself and then tell your parents who would then go and tell, tell you to go in the backyard and get you a switch to beat your own behind with. 
and you better not come back in there with no weak looking switch. Talk to me, somebody. It used to be there was no TV during the week because there wasn't no TV stations. We won't go there. It used to be the thought of the look from mom and dad was enough to keep us straight. It used to be that a TV dinner was a treat. Oh, come on now. Don't you sit out there and tell me you didn't eat TV dinners. Don't you sit there and tell me you didn't drink Tang, Kool-Aid, meat Spam. You know you ate some Spam. Oh, you didn't have no container of bacon fried grease up on your, your stove. Come on now. You ain't gonna tell me that. Oh, yeah, I see you. I know you did. I know you did. We need to go back to basics. We've gotten everything backwards. We walking by sight, doubting, sitting down, exposing our back, dropping our shields, sagging our pants, leaving our sword, sitting on the bedroom nightstand. Instead of the devil being a liar, we become his advocate like he need one. And I'm appalled at how many times I hear the Lord's name taken in vain every single day. And when did it become okay to cuss on TV? When did that happen? And everything is, you, you, can, you can say everything on, on TV now except Jesus, except Jesus, except Jesus, except Jesus, except Jesus, except Jesus. It's time to circle the wagons, grab hands, and have family time and wait on the Lord. It's time to go back to basics. I'm talking about cleaning up our, and claiming our own neighborhoods before they're discovered by and gentrified by other ethnic groups. I'm talking about, I'm talking about making sure that we vote at each, each election so that our voice is heard because if you don't vote, you don't count and you can't complain. I'm talking about supporting qualified public servants, regardless of color, who will fight for our interests. And I'm talking about getting rid of unqualified public servants, regardless of color, who are not fighting for, but abusing our interests, Judge Aaron Persky. I'm talking about, I'm talking about not making excuses for someone in public office when they just have made an error in judgment just because they're black. I'm talking about supporting black filmmakers with our presence on first weekend who are trying to say something positive about our particular experience. Wakanda forever. I'm talking about, I'm talking about using the internet and radio stations to make our own 100 and 200 million dollar weekend movies. Wakanda forever. I'm talking about not using derogatory names and phrases about ourselves and our women and then trying to tell the rest of the world how they should refer to us. I'm talking about choosing not to use the N-word because it, no, it is not nor ever will be a term of endearment. I'm talking about taking responsibilities for our shortcomings as leaders and parents in this high-tech, fast-paced world and sitting down with our families at dinner time. I'm talking about making God and family a priority again because we don't need to have God in the schools if we got God in the home. I'm talking about, that's what I'm talking about. Talk about God in your home.
I'm talking about circling the wagons, closing the doors, rolling up the sleeves, and getting back to basics. Is there a high cost for high living? Do we have so much that we don't even know how much we have? We so free that we don't even vote no more. We seem to have gotten blown so far off course that the question is, will it take another national tragedy to bring us back to the place where we truly are, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all? I certainly hope not. I truly believe that we simply need to go. I think it is fitting and appropriate that I end my time with you this afternoon with a poem that the presiding bishop periodically includes in his sermons that always brings everything into focus for me. The poem is called, It Depends on Whose Hand It's In. A baseball in my hand is worth about six dollars but a baseball in Derek Jeter's hand is worth about 30 million. It depends on whose hand it's in. A basketball in my hands is worth about $50, but a basketball in Irvin Magic Johnson's hands, who was here this morning, is worth about $5 billion. It depends on whose hand it's in. A tennis racket in my hand is useless. But a tennis racket in Serena Williams' hand is a Wimbledon championship. It depends on, depends on whose hand it's in. A golf, club, golf, a golf club in my hands is a total annoyance and a frustration. But a golf club in Tiger Woods' hands is worth millions of dollars. Come on back, Tiger. Come on, come on, come on, Tiger. Come on, Tiger. It depends on whose hands it's in. A rod in my hand will chase away a little dog, but a rod in Moses' hand parted the Red Sea so that God's people could cross over. It depends on whose hand it's in. A slingshot in my hand is a little boy's toy, but a slingshot in David's hand will pull down a mighty giant. It depends on whose hand it's in. Two fish and five loaves in my hand will make a couple real good fish sandwiches, but two fish and five loaves in Jesus' hand will feed the thousand. It depends on whose hands it's in. Nails in my hands make, make a little birdhouse a children's wagon, but nails in the hands of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, will bring salvation to the entire world it depends on whose hands it's in it depends on whose hands it's in let's put our hands in his hands and let him change this world for the better thank you god bless you all